and we're maybe back. <laughs> Let's hold I, on. I here. sure hope so. It said their stream had shut down suddenly for no reason, and that's I been happening to, to me on other platforms too. So. Yikes. Yes. Let's hold out just for a second. All oh, this will just be a pre-stream, pre just a few minutes of us chatting at y'all real quick before we we sure the 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 this the, the, the streams be stable. You did if kind you, of go full Cybertron for a second, by the way. Oh, that would not be great. So if you are here and just James watching, is here, uh, just give us a here. shout, Roberto James. Great to see both of y'all. All right. Yay. It seems the, the to be more, a little bit more be... stable here, Kristen. We might want to try and do this again. Uh, you can you can go if you need to go. All righty. And we're back. Welcome to Print Your Games Podcast about what's new and awesome in 3D printing for gaming. I'm with your host, Jefferson J. Thacker, and I'm also joined by... Kristen Sowers, also known as Seventh Mastery. And we have just gotten back from the best four days in gaming. Gen Con. It did not disappoint this year, folks. It was insane. It hit different this year, but not disappoint. It sure hit different. Yeah, yeah. It was it was full speed. Certainly the biggest thing I've been to since fifty, the fiftieth year celebration. The last couple of years have been kind of we're slowly coming back after COVID and it's building up and not very many people are here. In like giant empties of walkways between booths a little farther apart than you expect them to be. Gosh, I I, I kind of wish I'd seen that because that was not the case this year. It was going no. back to got six game board game backpacks smacking me in the side and face, oh. and I yeah, can't it's like imagine. It's, 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 it's the it's the hazing you have to do to get to Alpha New Gamer. Uh, it's it just get absolutely berated through Gen Con uh, by the way overstuffed bags that people decide is a good idea to bring into a place that is shoulder to shoulder occupancy. And I understand they probably went in there with empty bags, but yeah, once those puppies get full, maybe like go to the side of the mm-hmm. vendor hall and like demurely scoot your butt out the door. I, I don't know yeah. how uh, I'm kind of like super torn and like, cause like there, there is stratification in Gen Con attendee um, that in like the, the best way to attend Gen Con is to attend Gen Con with a connecting hotel so that yes. you can just freely drop off and grab your bag in five minutes notice yes. right before your game. Um, but uh, there's not enough of those hotel rooms for everybody sure. and fighting for those hotel rooms is, uh, unfortunately, very fierce. And yes, as more yes. and more people Weston go to the con, and, and Marriott, right? Specifically, we're like really. Oh the, yeah, the the and like the 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 uh, the Crown Plaza is always a tough one to get. And then there's the sure. ones that are like the double connecting suites that can have like eight people share a room. So yeah, even though yeah. they cost a fortune, it's like really cheap per person, mm-hmm. and those always get snapped up. Like even uh, like. Oftentimes, like you'll get a crew of three or four sharing a single king bedroom, uh, because it's just like that's all you can get. Well, that sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, and it's just it's just crazy. And, and the more people that that show up, the worse this gets. So, and if you aren't lucky enough to get one of those connected hotels that you can just like freely drop in and out of, uh, and they are not cheap. Though, though those prices are very expensive, it's a significant investment. Usually, mm-hmm. the flight and the hotel are the two expensive parts of Gen Con. The tickets and this money you spend at the convention are secondary to that. Uh, and so, for the people that are like coming in from like the airport hotels that have to shuttle in in the morning, um, I understand why they might have the bag full of like all the, the I suppose RPGs I suppose. I'm going to play today and the board games I'm going to run, and it's not easy to just leave those. Behind. So I'm gonna I'm gonna counter something. What's that? You might have a friend at one of those hotels, so you could always like buddy buddy up. I know that it's not gonna happen for everybody, mm-hmm. but yeah, a, a bag check though being incredibly difficult to manage would be lovely. I'm sure it's never. Gonna yeah, happen, they used to have bag checks, and they didn't. Ha- they haven't had them the last few years, and that is a liability nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, bag checking is a liability nightmare. And I'm sure. I I'm sure. Understand why they won't want to do it. Ultimately, like lockers would be great, and but the few times I've seen them try the locker methods, the lockers get sold out within 0.2 milliseconds, mm-hmm. and good luck. 
So the giant bags smacking me in the face are an unfortunate side effect of Gen Con. Yeah, I'm a pretty big guy. It's more the little kids and the people in wheelchairs that, that upsets me that it's, it's it's hitting those folks. I did notice that this year there was a lot less wheelchair accommodating than I'm used to seeing. Because usually, mm-hmm. like, if somebody in a wheelchair comes up, like, the path before them parts like the sea before Moses. And they are able to freely move throughout the convention a little bit easier. And this year, I, I saw people not moving. So that yeah, was, it was a little rough on that. Yeah, that was a little rough. Uh, but also, this was the, the absolute tightest we've been packed in there. This is the record-breaking year at over 70,000 attendees is the official number as of this morning. I thought I saw 80, 85. Yeah, that number was floating around, but according to Peter Atkinson, uh, okay. he, he, Peter trust Atkinson that. himself, yep. the, the official number is over 70. Technically, 85 would be over 70, but if they had over 85, I think they would be jumping. We are reaching the limit that the fire marshals will allow yeah attendance because like they officially went we are sold out we are sold out and we are not selling any more tickets for uh the four-day tickets and saturday specifically are what sold out Mm -hmm. um evidently there were still sunday tickets evidently the sunday will call line stretched around the building it did it did actually saw that i'm not used to the sunday will call line never being a thing sunday everybody usually thinks it's over but people were still trying to get everything even even the game demos because i did didn't get into dragon bane until sunday morning and it still had a line if i hadn't gone an hour early and just sat there in front of the door i wouldn't have got in and also, we can't talk about lines at Gen Con without talking about the worst disaster at Gen Con. Uh, Lorcana, my new nemesis. I mean, if you if you are a Lorcana fan, this is not an indictment of the quality of that. I'm game. sure the game's fantastic. The designer seemed really proud of its performance during it, and I had a brief chance to talk to him. But so every Gen Con has that breakout game that that game that everybody's talking about. Everybody's trying to get in line for. Launch of Pathfinder, launch of the Pathfinder card game, Keyforge, relaunch of Marvel Versus, and now we can add Lorcana to the mix of this. Um, also, anything to do with Kingdom Death Monster. Uh, like, there's like these huge lines that the Lorcana that was a were, whole new level. They were not prepared to deal with this and not able to deal with this. Um, the first day. So basically, at the height of everything, people were lining up literally at 3 a.m. before the convention to get into Lorcana, mm-hmm. and the line was 16 to 18 hours long. Yeah, I'm not sure, James, if they sorted that legal legal situation or not. What legal situation? Uh, there was a legal issue with the Lorcana, but I, since we don't know, I don't want to speak to it. Okay, yeah, I'm not well informed on that. Yeah. Um, we do know fire marshals were called in on Lurkana specifically. Well, and I will say that um, the the normally you have maybe occasional stanchions dividing stuff at Gen Con, mm-hmm. but there was a complete segregation of flow of traffic because Lurkana line was running right down the middle everywhere. Yeah, so like on the day one, like it actually made me very angry because like the Lurkana line was so mismanaged that it was just blocking like three main arteries to Gen Con. And so when what to understand this, like this giant mass of people wrapping around the building and like switch backing a billion times first, like 18 hours of waiting in line to buy a card game. Um, I'm sure like no quality of this card game. It could be the best card game ever. I don't know. I assume it better off should be because if you waited in that line and sacrificed your entire Gen Con to get Mickey Mouse, the CCG, you better really love that game and it better be awesome. Um, but that meant that like everybody else at the convention was being massively impacted. It was so hard to get around that because of these giant Lurkana lines and, uh, and they were just like being cavalier about it. They like, they didn't care that they were blocking the arteries. Yeah. Bless your soul. If you had to cross the aisle to the other side, like, yeah, I forced my way through once and I think I got death stares. uh, Yeah. And it was just like, listen, people, you're not. So how this is supposed to work is when you have a line that's so long that it has to cross the main pathways, you're supposed to break the line and have signs joining it. Yeah. And then like, like let people move on and move a piece. Like you're supposed to leave that pathway clear and you have people managing those breaks. 
-hmm. You're not supposed to just let the line glom up and block it. Well, now, eventually that thing... got corrected, but it took the literal yeah. fire marshal showing up to get them to get their line in order. It's weird to me because the staff, uh, the volunteers and, and the staff at Gen Con know how to do it already. They do it at the will call line, and it works fine. As so, I understand it, Lorcana did not plan on having a line at all, and then, or, or <laughs> plan on managing a line. So they at just all. put that back on the Gen Con people. So they put it back on just the fans to organize themselves. Yikes! And you can't do that. No. Um. What when this happens? And 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 I'm also really like. Gen Con needed to have stepped in there a lot faster than they did because usually right. when this happens, Gen Con is on it and they get there and they say, you got to get your line in thing or we're going to shut your booth down. Right. And that didn't happen this year. Um, eventually, eventually by day two, like I said, the literal fire marshal had to come in and tell them that they were going to empty the hall if they didn't get this in order. That would have meant every single person kicked out of Gen Con and then let back in slowly. Uh, which That would have been, been a bummer. Yeah. Um, I've seen that happen at some conventions before, and it is it is it is a sign of organizational failure. Um, but uh, they got that stuff in line. So hey, if you uh, got a hold of Lorcana, great. I hope you didn't have to give up your entire Gen Con to get a box. Yeah, and I hope it was really good. I know people are turning those boxes for six hundred dollars on their hundred fifty dollar boxes, but they're like... down to three hundred now. Oh, they've dropped already. Yeah, okay. that stuff drops off. It's almost never worth it because only the first few people get like those really huge payouts on these con exclusives, and then the the value just drops like crazy. Like I know, like there were the first couple of the Mickey Mouse promo selling for like fourteen hundred dollars, yeah. and then like yeah. now they're like sixty bucks. Um, and like the game is going to come out in at the in two weeks soon into your friendly local gaming store, and then and then it's going to be like retail Everywhere, a little above yeah. retail like there's it's you got y'all can wait y'all can wait or like don't overpay for lorcana would be my advice like if you were really hype about this game maybe don't get a 600 dollars booster box off ebay right 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 yeah. uh, but what <sighs> did we end up doing at the conventions because we so, were super hyped for getting together at so very much so very much I would We're have gonna... to say, like, most of my Gen Con was, like, most of my, all of my cons, and it's, like, mostly just hanging out with my peeps is the big thing I did at the convention. There's, like, a lot of hanging out with you, a lot of hanging mm -hmm. out with the ex Paizo crew and, and uh, old Katie friends. Yeah, yeah. And that sort of thing. So that was, that was good and fun. And uh, what about you? Uh, I mean... We both did Tales of the Valiant. Which, ah, yes. The new Tales of the Valiant. Which really excites me. It's got, you know, everything you like from 5e plus a couple quality of life adjustments. Mm -hmm. For instance, True Strike as a bonus action, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, then I, I, I think I was a little more aggressive about finding us some new new friends for this show. So mm -hmm. I, think, I think we tracked down quite a few people. Mm -hmm. I think we will probably, I mean... Obviously, these could fall through, so mm -hmm. I'm not going to promise all of them, but I uh, might be seeing Creature Caster here on the show soon, which I'm super excited by. Might be seeing their um, allied paint formulation people, too, Ooh. to talk about paint uh, adherence to resin and stuff, and formulating stuff for resin. What was your question? You had a question. I was just saying, let's not spoil things until we have confirmations. Okay, we need confirmations. Cool. Let's just say there's other things, maybe, maybe some cosplay yeah. things, which we won't specify specifically. Yeah. We were surprised That's... at the number of people wanting to be on the show. Uh, yeah, which was great, which was absolutely wonderful. So hey, uh, more content coming y'all's way. Yes, good, good stuff. Um, I would guess I won't get any more specific than that, just in case people fall through. Yeah, we don't but... want to disappoint y'all. That's that's the most important thing. I'm pretty pretty confident about creature caster though so i'll say it yeah anyway we'll see um yeah uh i got to uh do some fun stuff uh, with my tiktok friends um mm -hmm. I, I met up with i thought almost all of them no no i missed like 12 that yeah. were there at least that's always um, the way it's like 
you get to meet so many people and then like there's always that crew you that group of friends that you wish you could have gotten together with but like the stars would not align yeah. and sometimes it's super easy some but like you have to understand that there's seventy thousand people in this nerd space crammed in and super busy with their own schedule well and then a whole orbit of coolness at the hotels like almost all the hotels have side events and mm-hmm. or like you know there's the writers conference that's going on sometimes a company will do all their demo space in another location mm-hmm. um you know just just a lot of different orbital coolnesses so like even when you're going back to your hotel you might run into something amazing mm-hmm. right so right. And, and but, frequently I would run into people on the street and be like, oh, it's you from there. And we'd talk, you know, be like um, somebody who worked on my Kickstarter, for instance, I ran into in the street. Just a, just a bunch of people. Um, that whole team's definitely uh, re-engaged maybe in s- some work, but we'll, we'll talk about that at a later date. But lots of fun scheming and planning. And then I did play games. I did get to try Dragon Bane. I mentioned that, which mm-hmm. is fantastic. Uh I did not realize it had DNA in in common with RuneQuest. Uh, really? Are you, are you familiar with RuneQuest at all? I am familiar with RuneQuest. Yeah. So, like, a Rune, RuneQuest was basically Chaosium's D and D answer. Um, I am kind of as they were doing Call of Cthulhu stuff. Uh, they also did RuneQuest, and one of the things they had was a little splat book called Solo Quest. And in Solo Quest, your main character was a Mallard King. He was a duck dude. And of course, like, I don't know if it was deliberate to like reach out to children or not, but um, freaking adorable, right? Like, it, it's basically Daffy Duck or Donald Duck, and it literally has a species specific power to rage, to, to quack out and freak out and lose control of yourself, like so many of those duck characters do. So, um, yeah, the mad cartoon duck guy is, is a playable species. And when um, the guy in, he went back to, I, I want to say it was Switzerland, the game is centered in. I might, yeah, I, I could be wrong though. But anyway, he went back to Europe. And when he got there, he's like, well, we don't have D&D here and I really want to play it. But he talked to Chaosium because mm-hmm. he'd done some work with them. And they said, hey, you know, you can use our system. So he made the first version of Dragon Bane off of RuneQuest. Hmm. And um, so the, the Dragon Bane, like OG fans, expect the duck people and so here i am like walking to dragon bane it's all cool there's big dragon there's all stuff and then i look over and there's like darkwing duck basically as a dual wheeled ranger barbarian or something yes. and he's like raw and i'm like I mean, it has such a cool <laughs> cover with that the, the mallardkin coming down i had to like double check like 15 times i'm like is this a Warner Brothers tie-in thing, right? It's like right. Space Jam, but for D and D, and totally, totally. But yeah, so it's it's a tie-in to that old uh, RuneQuest, and I played RuneQuest during the Panic mm-hmm. uh, because you couldn't play D and D during the Panic, right? But if they I knew found enough out to tell the difference between D and D and RuneQuest. They yeah, would know yeah, that D wasn't a problem. Yep, I just would say, oh, I'm playing RuneQuest now, Mom. It's fine. Anyway, yeah. So it was weird for me to kind of have this surprise nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Um, and the systems, it's really solid. It's very simple, very clean. Um, you know, uh, definitely uses minis. It is, it is very war gaming miniature in, in the, in the battle, right? Mm-hmm. Like in, in the combat piece, um, but- it's all, uh, meters. So if you're a metric fan, that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, cause also usually inter- even the European games and the Asian games use feet. Right, right. Imperial measurements. Yeah, so and they it's do only two... not weird over here because we use it in America, but we're the only ones. Right, but they use two meter squares, so they're six feet, kind oh. of. And okay. your movement is in meters, so you have to half your movement in, to get your squares, which I thought was a little clunky. But other than that, everything else was super slick. Like, mm-hmm. um, it's all roll against your own difficulty check to see if you do succeed. And then you have to spend your action to defend. So you get no AC, you get no defenses unless you take an action to block. I like and this. that was wild. Combat got really dangerous and really like, unless you save that action to tank, basically you did, you just took it to the face. Um, yeah. Okay. I've been corrected Last closer to seven feet. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Thank you. I, mm-hmm. I apologize for my um, uh, lingering Imperial uh, data in my brain so that kind anyway. of, I, that that a lot of people need to appreciate things like RuneQuest and 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 um 
Record of Lodos War mm. and The Dark Eye, which is like, I, see, the, in the used to before times when D&D was first coming out, you couldn't just publish something and it be simultaneously distributed instantly around the right, world in digital right. perfect format. And also, like, I guess, you know, language barriers are also a thing and uh, translation is still a problem. But right. like a whole whole generations of games exist in various pockets of the world that got very popular because D&D, great idea. We would like D&D at home, but we can't get it because of billions of different reasons, import bans, import top problems, mm -hmm. uh, translation issues. And so there's all these games that are, this is the D&D of Germany. This is the yeah. D&D of Japan. This is the D&D of yeah, and you, that's how you get a lot of these really fun systems that later in, have their own heritage and growth and mm -hmm. and, and wonderfulness um, that I think needs to be more appreciated. Um, uh, and and, uh, and there's definitely some innovation there um, that is worth paying attention to that often just gets overlooked because D&D is still the titan it is. And, the, yeah, and the, yeah. even the games that rival D&D have direct lineage with D&D, like... I'm a humongous Pathfinder fan, but you can't uh, you can't deny Pathfinder's connection as a as basically a a scion of Dungeons and Dragons. You might even have told the creator or CEO of it once at a convention that it was the same game and got in trouble. Uh, <laughs> and by you, I mean me. <laughs> I mean you're not the only one. Yeah. That's the reason but I knew what that didn't like was. that. <laughs> oh um, gosh. Other things I, I, though that sorry. Go ahead. I, I have also had the a similar situation where I call Pathfinder a version of D and D Hopefully not on your podcast, did you? Oh, I've said it yeah, several times. Oh no. I, I mean I guess that I mean it's still accurate, but the other thing I thought was really cool to see was um a pretty large number of vendors using 3D printed um, stuff oh, for sale. so much. Yeah. And and some fantastic quality. Like, mm -hmm. we actually had to ask a couple of the vendors we talked to what they were doing. And we saw, you know, like, high-end Creality's. We saw high-end um, Formlabs results. Mm -hmm. Just some, some, some of these big printers we were talking about, those Cadillac and, and beyond, you know, uh, Yacht Weekend... <laughs> purchasing mm -hmm. uh, big old yeah. printers but the results were fantastic i, I even saw really some really yeah. hard to tell a lot of times if you were buying something that was 3d printed or if you were buying something that wasn't um mm -hmm. 3d printed like was this traditional manufacturing like that little dice dragon i bought i later found out was fully 3d printed but i've i have scoured that thing for layer lines and mm -hmm. the only way evidence that anything was 3D printed is a tiny little bit of support material is underneath its its little paw back paw, and hmm. I would say that I have, and I noticed that I'm like, okay, yeah, this was absolutely 3D printed in clear resin, but at such a high quality, you cannot tell that it was. Except if the, if I hadn't found the support material, um, I would still be guessing whether or not it was. Right. And I, I, I did play that game a lot. I'd go up and especially a lot of the board games that were prototyping. Mm -hmm. I'd be like, was this 3D printed or was it COCast? You know, or was this? And mm -hmm. I was usually right, but I was mm -hmm. wrong a couple of times. And I was a little surprised, like where I was like, wow, I swore that was, you know, injection molded, mm -hmm. but it was 3D printed. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, Elders Foundry has a formula oh of their gosh. own special resin and they print on a really high end printer. And yeah. I will say I'm I love those minis and I will be happy to print them on my own printer, but their prints were gorgeous. I know. I that was like I mean, I've been at it with like high end zooms on my macro lenses, just like and I'm like it's hard to tell that anything there was three you only on the bottom of the bases where you can see some like heavier supports were placed is there evidence of 3D printing on those Eldritch Foundry models. So mm -hmm. so when we played the demo for Tales of the Valiant, uh we were surprised that we were given a Eldritch Foundry version print of our character. We got um, to keep them, yeah. yeah. And also, these these were. It turns out these were bespoke sculpts because I was like, these don't look like they were made in Eldritch Foundry or any creator. They look like they were bespoke sculpts. It turns out they were, um, but they but, were bespoke sculpt pieces for Tales of the Valiant that are now added to the asset packs. From what I yes, understand, yes, yes, um, and 
they were just glorious quality, like super sharp details. That dwarf with his little clean. lizard guy. No oh visible layer lines at all. Um, like it, it looked like some of the best purchased resin minis that I have ever purchased kind of situation. And they just gave them to us. They're like, keep it, keep it yep. at the end yep. of the demo. Good goodness. Like we live in a wonderful time. <laughs> no joke. No joke. They were fantastic. And I think I actually ended up getting a third one. You've lost sound, Param, just in case you can't hear me. Do you hear me? I, I do not know what no, no sound from Param at all. Maybe are the are the viewers getting the sound in the live in the chat? Because I only hear myself. I don't know what's going on. But yeah, that that booth was super duper impressive. Um, like every bit is impressive. I went down, you know, to creature casters, uh, around the next and they were using 3d printed stuff and resin cast stuff. Yeah. No param still. I'm not sure what's up, Can you hear um, me now? but those, those were fantastic. Both, mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, creature creature caster was using about half. You're hearing both. Okay. James is hearing both. But Blast hey, can you hear me now? Keep talking param. I can hear you fine now. Okay. I think, I think we might be good. I'm going to reset my audio. Cause I think whatever you did to fix your audio, Mess, mess my audio up just a second. Indeed. So sorry, gang, about that small little hiccup. Uh, but And I wasn't able to hear what Kristen was saying. I've, I've got a bad audio cable here that I need to replace desperately. Um, but it broke right before the show, so I'm kind of screwed. No, uh, we're good. We're good. And, sorry about that. Yeah. So the quality was just absolutely fantabulous. And the fact that like the cost of printing must be so low that they're literally able to just give those things away. Right. As, like, cause we didn't pay much for that demo. I think it was like your standard, like $8 ticket. Yeah. It was either four or eight. It was definitely cheap. Mm -hmm. Certainly. Uh, I think you, you paid more than that. If you bought the minis from the booth, honestly, how much were the minis at the booth? Uh, depended on the mini, I think, because they actually did have some that were a little bit more complicated. I think one was mounted. Yeah, there was one like on the jet bike. Yeah, that really well, and, cool. I, and I, there was that also the jetpack guy. They had one of those, but I think those were sold out in the first day. Um, they added a bunch of new flight poses, by the way, if you use them for any of your three D printing stuff, mm. and those are pretty amazing. So, right. and like also like the big the big pitch Eldritch Foundry is doing is like if you sign up for their five dollar or ten dollar a month, whatever it is. Uh, you just get as many downloads as you want. You don't just get 10. Yeah. Just saying for some really odd specific reason, the number 10. For some strange uh, forge of heroes sort of reference. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's interesting, too, because I was, I was noodling around with it. I went back one more time on Sunday because I couldn't stay away. And... Mm -hmm. um, I was like, you could easily make an like an OPR fantasy army just by changing oh, yeah. heads and stuff and just popping those little downloads, just going. Got that unlimited. I'll tell you, all my Patreons, or not all my Patreons, a Patreon, I don't know which one it's going to be, is in danger. Because I think it's changing <laughs> into... Uh, so, you know. Uh, none of the ones that are tentacle-focused are in danger. Mm, it's true. Although, if I have my way, Eldritch Foundry might have tentacles. We saw a lot of people there that were vendors, like 3D printing merchant license crews mm -hmm. uh, that that like their whole thing is just getting merchant license and printing models and selling them. And there were like three or four different booths there at the con and some mm -hmm. of the booths at fairly high production values that it was not obvious at first that that is exactly what they were. Honestly, if I had known Lord of the Prince sculpts, that one big booth, mm -hmm. I would have been like, I didn't had no idea. I just sort of thought they were like hawking injection molds or something. Yeah, I thought it was. It wasn't until I saw Wyatt from Cast and Play, mm -hmm. and only then because like because I painted Wyatt several times now, and I'm very familiar with that werewolf. Uh, that I was like, oh, okay, yeah, this is a booth of resellers. Yeah, but it was, it was looked, that Lord of the Print Black Dragon for me. I was like, oh, oh, these are all licensed. And I started looking closer. And I was like, yep, 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 yep. And also, like, and we're definitely noticing that good printers are available more often because all the booths that had printed stuff looked great. And speaking of stuff that looked great, 
uh, Privateer Press booth. I went, of course, went to go take check out their stuff because you know all the new War Machine stuff is three D printed. Even though they don't sell the files, they sell you have it. just stabbed me in the heart, sir. I just what? realized I didn't go to Privateer Press's booth once, and I really wanted to. What is wrong with me? So I got out my little magnifier and I went, looked at those minis, and they are perfect. Like there's no visible layer lines. There's none of that mess from last year that co- that caused such of a drama. These look absolutely glorious, perfect prints. And it's no surprise. Like right now, like I've got a, um, I haven't even. It, it, it's sitting in my print room is a boxed Saturn Three Ultra, and so like, and even then the Saturn Two was already sub thirty five microns. We're in the, you know. 3D Limit. printed at at or better quality than injection molding level. Of course, the quality of these minis are going to be a thousand times better. Right. Well, we're entering uh, limits of the human eye soon. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I had to get magnification out to yeah. like. You have no chance of seeing these. Like, like if people like pick up like if you've got a good printer and you've got your setters dialed in and some like you know a miniature GW snob picks up your models and goes, I can't stand layer lines and looks at them. They lying. They lying. You can't see the lines anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, even actually, a couple FDM sellers. Um, there was a couple, mm-hmm. a couple people doing FDM dungeon prints that were fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was Dice like, towers. I wanted one of them dust towers. Yeah, I was looking at those the the modular dungeon where they were mostly selling their accessory sets, the resin mm-hmm. cast and um, resin printed accessory sets. But they had FDM prints that I was like, is that Dwarven Forge? Are they reset? Like Dwarven Forge is their booth. I can see it from here. And this looks like, oh, no, it's not Dorian Forge because I finally got on the side and I was like, oh, they're layer lines, but they are subtle as hell. Yeah, I think they were using the tactile sets. Uh, Maybe. For the Wylock ones that with the 1.25 inch tiles. Okay. Yeah, yeah they looked fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, their little accessory packs were, were uh, pushing it over. Mm-hmm. Oh, quite a bit. I mean, I would say there are a little bit better than like the accessories you would get out of like um, the Pathfinder prepaint boxes when you get like the random accessory in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was interesting seeing the different strategies people were taking because you had some that were just like this is very obviously a, a, a naked 3D prints, mm-hmm. uh, pimples and all, uh, but being sold on the cheap. You just grab that there. You had that that one booth we were talking about that was just like you could not tell that this was not in like professionally molded and packaged at all, and like only by recognizing the sculpts did we even know that it was merchant licensed stuff. Uh, and yeah. then. Like the one you're talking about, um, with all the uh, the hand painted stuff, uh, they like not selling unpainted at all. Like the, their stick was, they paint the stuff and sell the painted models. Right, and that was their value add. Yeah, mm-hmm. and even like I was saying with Creature Caster, I think you didn't quite catch this because it was when your audio was a little glitched. Mm-hmm. Um, that they had printed and and resin like cast stuff on the same displays and I had to like a couple times I had to ask I was like mm. that's a resin one right and sometimes the only th- way I could tell is I knew it wasn't available as an STL I was like okay this is not in your STL store that's cast right and they're like yeah but there was a couple of their of their um older models that were still um 3D printed and just looked fantastic mm-hmm. it's going to be almost impossible in the next couple of years to tell the difference and right I expect like we're going to see, we're going to keep seeing 3D printers designed for manufacturing coming out, like not yeah. hobbyist line, not high end for doctors line, but for mass production focused 3D printers. Because now that we have these these ultra fast, like why do you think everybody's invested in ACF ultra fast printing? It's not so the hobbyist can cut the time on, on a plate full of orcs from five hours down to two that's right. not a, that's not there's so no the business person model who there. has a shed out back with 20 of those machines running mm-hmm. is it can crank out those boxes of uh orders faster yeah, it's so that the next privateer press can just like absolutely smash three hundred thousand war machine models in a weekend you know that's what this is about yeah, and, it is interesting because like that distributed uh, fabrication is gonna that's gonna become a very viable channel cha- channel if it I mean it is already to us right mm-hmm. but to even to like common common availability it's gonna become more and more normal I think. Right. And the other thing that we're gonna need to see on the market to make this successful is resins designed for gameplay because mm-hmm. right now 
uh, re there, there's not a lot of good resins for gamers out there because you're either the resins are either for sculpting level stuff, was get as much like these what they call these 8K, these 12K, these super high precision resins that capturing the ultimate pinnacle of detail for showing off in pictures. Um, and absolutely brittle that if you just nudge it, they'll shatter. They're not great for gameplay. And then you have like the ABS likes that are kind of like trying to toe that line, but they're not quite there yet. Right. And then like the actual stuff that's doing great is like these custom blends that we're having to put together where we just like, we take a good ABS like, and then we're throwing in tenacious or some tenacious other, or yeah, or, some of yeah, the additive. Yeah. To make it uh, like that. Like I, and I've seen some like, the, evidently the magic number for Sierra Tech Gray now, which I've got from some friends that have told me and I've seen the results, um, is is 20% tenacious to Soraya Tech Fast Navy Gray. So oddly enough, you can also do um a, a probably 40, 60 mix of their clear. Mm -hmm. Their clear color resins um are almost as good as tenacious with gray. Like, like I was surprised I did, I did that, that breakdown and it was really, really good. Yeah. Um, but I don't like, know what it is about the way they interact, but it's really solid. But what we need is like a pre-mixed, like this, yes, is the, absolutely. this is the stuff for war gamers. This is the, this is the good stuff. No, no measuring out stuff. And like, I don't need to get 200 milliliters of tenacious in the cup and then pour it into the bottle and shaky, shaky. Are you that specific? I just yes. put a little bit out into the print print puddle, and then I just like okay, it's got to be about that, and just I just eyeball it. <laughs> An interesting, um, interesting uh, choice from here, uh, from Blasted Samuflage would say that most minis on the market aren't even designed for printing, let alone playing. Uh, there is some truth to the fact that uh, a lot of models are designed to look impressive in screenshots, so that you sell the you quote unquote sell the renders. As uh, for people that just buy the files and never actually end up printing them, that is true. Um, that said, it's what what Atlas Support Solutions can do is kind of magic sometimes. Sometimes all the tentacles print. I'm just saying. Yes. Oh, hold on. Hold that up while I throw you up. Sure. It's it's uh not my best paint job, but it's getting there. He's got cool blends. He's got so yeah. many color blends. Yeah, he, he's a, he's a fun boy. For our audio listeners, he is holding up one of the Venom floaters from OPR. Yes, with, yep. it's lots of wiggly tentacles, tentacles and poison to sacks, blue to pink and yeah, it's got a little purple on it. Yeah. Anyway, but you can print. The, the cool thing about three D printing is you can print these crazy quality minis that should not be possible. Right. Absolutely. Like the supports are are magic. Uh, so other than, so what did you, so the other big thing we got to do is like, hey, we are both interested in what comes next in the D&D-ish space. So yes. Tales of the Valiant is obviously one we've got our eyes on. Which was super fun. Cobalt Press is great. A lot of our friends are working on that. So like, hey, there's some personal investment there. And, uh, and Wizards cool. was at the con and they did really, Lisa, sorry, huh? I can't say this without laughing. Um, the Big Bees giant book. What's up? I don't up know. With... I oh, you know haven't heard? No. You haven't heard? Uh, it's been uh, revealed that there is AI-generated art in it. And... Oh, yeah. We will we'll avoid that particular can of fish yeah. until we have more. Yes, I'm just saying. It, yeah. You can Google it. Google it if you like. But um, it was an eventful uh, situation in the upcoming forefront of D&D. Um, yeah, although I have to say, uh, a book of many things does look interesting. Jason Tondro from uh, former Pyrozo person again, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, worked on it and it does look pretty good. <laughs> so yeah. I will say that. Yeah, yeah. But we play Tales of Valiant and, and yep. there's no giant AI controversy surrounding Tales of the Valiant. No, yet. there is not. There is not. And uh, that design team is solid. Um, mm -hmm. I'm super excited to see the changes that they're making there. And there's also just a lot of other contenders. You know, Dragon Bane, the, the, that demo line was hopping. It was 10 games a day, you know, um, probably hundreds of people. And then they had full-length games, too. And mm -hmm. it, it was really solid. So so is, is Dragon's Bane aiming for that market? I thought it was trying to just do its own thing with cool deck people. It, timing is suspicious, sir. Mm -hmm. 
coming out right at this edition change, coming out with a major, very D&D. Um, I will say, if you have a group that's half OSR grognards that want that old edition feel, and a group that's half 5e players that are willing to experiment, that game is right in that sweet spot between them. And it's really easy to learn if you know 5e. So, um, yeah. Other than that, though, there was definitely a lot of, like, third-party support uh, mm-hmm. for just 5e and just staying with 5e. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked to Paradigm Concepts, and they said, nope, we're not even doing, we don't even care about, uh, you know, one D&D 5.5 revised, whatever the heck it's going to be. Um, but they did say that they are going to continue to create product um, for their popular Arcanist setting, if you're familiar with it. Uh, it's got an organized places uh, system. It's got a huge world, big sweeping campaign books. Um, uh, on par with any, you know, like Paizo's offerings. It's not quite as many uh, for as it is for second edition right now, but it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a very well-developed uh, third-party, really flavorful world if you haven't checked it out. And they're, they're sticking. And they weren't the only people that told me that. There was a lot of third-party people who were like, we're just going to keep making stuff for 5e because we figure there's going to be a lot of people who just don't want to buy the books again, right? So... Trying to think if there's any of the other major contenders. Um, did find out that Daggerheart is not D20 um, mm-hmm. for Critical Role. It's going Interesting. to be a, it's going to be a two D12 engine system. Okay. Um, you know, still sort of sounded um, you know still success uh, target success situation with the dice, uh, and it's two D12 is a very similar range. So maybe I don't know how different it's going to be, but it it's, does not it will not be compatible with 5e at all. Which I don't know if that was a smart move, but we'll see. Maybe it'll be amazing. So, what did you think of Tales of the Valiant, Kristen? Uh, I, I I am in love. Um, there was a very magical moment when three five turned into four a, and some of us weren't very happy about it. And then suddenly Pathfinder showed up. Right. And there's a very magical moment happening right now, I think, between um, Wizards making, we'll say, interesting decisions. We won't get into any of that controversy or kerfuffle. Mm-hmm. But, um, and, you know, the proliferation of other options. I think you're going to see a, a Goldilocks situation where that porridge is going to work perfectly with your old stuff. It's going to work perfectly with, probably with the new stuff. And it's going to offer a whole window into a new thing. And one of my biggest gripes with any RPG is not offering world support, um, Mm -hmm. not offering genres. And if you are not aware, the Tales of the Valiant Kickstarter, one of the backer levels was give us your campaign setting and we will canonize it. Mm -hmm. So there are 70 worlds from uh, players submitted, I think, that got picked. They're going to be in a PDF you download, but they are now acknowledged by Cobalt Presses. These worlds actually exist, and you can go from one of them to another. So they are in my wheelhouse of mm. let's connect all the dots, let's play with all the stuff, let's have you know some Knights of Salamnia fighting beside you know purple dragon knights, and and have like a big adventure in Eberron. You know, mm. like they're there for that, and I think that's amazing because mm. people should have options. People should be able to like interact anything they want to these games are about imagination and having fun and like you know i was talking to players and i've been gathering stuff and uh, when i hit seven thousand on uh tiktok i'm gonna be running a whole bunch of one shots mm-hmm. and these are the characters i'm getting given to me like these are like uh oozlings you know those minis that uh dragon trappers did for oozes someone's totally got that character it's an oozling rogue and i'm like oh, that's awesome but like most normal games in most normal you know Paizo or uh, wizard settings, unless you're playing Spelljammer, don't encourage that kind of play. And Tales of the Valiant is going to, which I think is amazing. Yeah, I, I'm definitely glad for a lot of the meta around Tales of the Valiant, and but I'm more excited to see how this thing actually plays on the table mm-hmm. because, like, like every a lot of the conversation about Tales seems to be about like, well, it's it's opening up this and it's connecting that and it's providing a good alternative. That I can't play a cause. Like I can support causes, but sure. I can't roll a d20 with a cause. I need that. This game has to actually be a good game. But you can have persistent divine damage on your cleric's attacks. See, right? that's good and and very and good you can have, true strikes. You can have the ability to automatically leave people out of your AOEs as a wizard. Yes, well, from like, low level, right? Yeah, which is amazing. 
and you can have the cool uh, Viking girl I played as the fighter being a gigantic dervish of death, like throwing like weird freaking combos and counterattacks. Yeah, that dual wield, wield build was awesome. And then the Rangers mark just being automatic when you hit a dude. It just mm-hmm. goes. You don't have to bonus action or any of that. Just a lot of little quality dice, uh, quality of life things. Um, one of my friends on TikTok was like, hey, you know, is it really going to be worth it? Is it really going to be worth it? And I said, it's a whole bunch of a little thing. And I said, there's probably going to be like a 10-page PDF listing every little tiny change of the major things, right? Mm-hmm. But that's still going to be obnoxious to go through. Why not just learn the, the core, the new core, right? I, I think anyway. Blasted uh, Samaflange has asked, have any good sci-fi games coming out in Gen Con? Nothing really pinged me while I was there. Nothing new uh, to me. I mean, uh, there was a lot of expansions for stuff right. that I saw. Um, I mean, Eclipse Phase was there with their new books, and that's always mm-hmm. fun. Like It's got a lot of cool transhumanism uh, elements to it, and it's, it's like... It does. It can also do like existential horror very well. If you if you want to like dive down the philosophical rabbit hole of what it is to be sure. a person, Eclipse Phase is definitely one of the games to check out for that. Uh, Traveler is uh, showing off their new stuff, but most of that came out last year. They got a, cool, a bunch of cool new books for it uh, this year. Um, and like Starfinder 2 got announced, and that was like that's big news, but nothing really. Uh, but, but that's kind of it. Like uh on the sci-fi space yeah there was a couple collections i saw like you know that were like here's the updated you know master version or whatever um and you know the the uh new savage world uh thing is going on too right but that's mostly just a a re it's a new printing of a book that exists right although i do hear that it's not fully compatible with the old version which i think is interesting that is super weird uh savage worlds does some like it's one of my favorite games but it's often very confusing to understand which book you should buy right right because each set's just kind of meant to work in that generation right of of stuff Mm-hmm. Like and the was it like the master set or something that just came out? I'm trying to remember. It was like a it couple doesn't years help ago. They keep reusing covers sometimes, and you're right. just like, which one is this? Fair enough. That is very uh, fair. You're making me paranoid about reusing cover art from my books, <laughs> which uh, I haven't done yet, but I was considering. I need to tell, like, just no joke. If you're a game designer, if I can't tell at a glance what I'm buying, you got a problem. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, like, a poor poor Pathfinder 2 had to, like, put a gigantic second edition thing in the cover just so people understood which version of the game it was buying for the longest time. Yeah, though the new logo to me is really distinct, but I can understand that people who weren't really familiar with the line wouldn't have seen that right away. Honestly, 5e was really brilliant with its, uh, with its um, uh, cover treatments. Because when you walk into a Barnes and Noble, you can spot the D and D fifth edition oh, section from a from mile, a mile away. away. Yeah, because that's that red line floating on all those black spines. Yeah, so there is Although, something brilliant about a well executed brand code. Interestingly enough, the LGSs that have lots of the special covers, they don't look that way. They actually look really like weirdly dissonant um, because they're all so bespoke and unique. Each of them mm-hmm. that they don't look like they belong. Like you know me. I even before I was regularly playing 5e, I started kind of getting some of those collectors because the art was cool and I just I supported a lot of the creators that were involved mm. in writing them. And now I look up on my 5e shelf and it's like red, 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 cacophony of madness. <laughs> red, so red, here's red. the fun thing this is why it matters and, and what you brought up here. And I, this is some inside baseball crap I'm about mm-hmm. to lay down on you. Those are very intentional choices too because. Mm-hmm. Barnes and Noble is not going to cover out those glorious special edition shiny awesomeness. Sure. They're going to spine out all of those. And yep. spine out, it will just blend into the the whole section of fantasy if they just did those covers. So by having that lockstep on the common core covers, it means that they live by not standing out, they stand out brighter than anybody. It's true. And honestly, it's very satisfying. Yeah. Um, even though I have newer books that are common mm-hmm. co- the common covers. I still keep them with the oldest ones because mm-hmm. that block of red and black mm-hmm. looks great on my shelf. So, And we're on the flip side at the local gaming store. Somebody coming into a local gaming store doesn't need that extra bit of nudge. And like right. you, you, they know what they're looking for. They know what this thing is. Whereas the uh, Barnes and Noble crowd is not going to be dedicated 
not necessarily going to all be like dedicated D&D grognards that and at the gaming shelf where you need to stand out well because the gaming shelf's going to sh- put those cover out where yeah. the covers themselves have to fight and so all those really cool looking shiny awesome art covers are the ones that need to compete in that space mm-hmm. 100% let's see what else I did do a couple, you know, non-miniature related things. Oh, we played Onslaught, though. Did you play Onslaught? Nope. So Onslaught looks very much like... You remember the old, um, not Dragon Strike or Dragon Flight, uh, the old miniatures battle game. Yes, the Dungeons and Dragons collectible miniatures battle game? I guess that's what it was called, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so that, um, this is like that, but cleaned up. If that and Heroclix had a baby with 5e, (laughs) so it's got a little character card that has Mm -hmm. dials on it, very much like Heroclix. It Mm -hmm. felt very Heroclix-y to me. Um, But there's there's a dial for your, like, core, like, um, like, it's weird because your hit points go down and your AC can actually go up if you have the right class or whatever it is. Like, it's it's strange how the the spinners work because your AC, your, um, your, your hit points, and one other thing, um, Shoot, what was it? Three of the core, like, static abilities that, like, you'd track your wounds just by spinning it, and it would change those other things. And then you had your, um, your cool, your, well, they were supposed to be use of day abilities, but they clearly just made them cooldown abilities. So in that regard, they kind of felt like 4 to me a little bit. Um, But those spinners would have, like, a use it once, use it twice, it's on cooldown. And then you would count back down on the rounds, right? And so it was kind of a neat little, like, uh dial based mmo timer kind of um but it is a very miniatures heavy game and there are scenarios i do believe they're talking about uh, a license to write scenarios for onslaught so there's little like miniature um like little mini adventures basically for it and because the way it's set up it it wouldn't be hard to print more stuff for it Mm -hmm. and probably figure out how to make your own character sheets I, I know there are paper crafters out in our community that could probably make the dials all cool and stuff, but you wouldn't have to do it. You could just like, you know, track it with paper or whatever, but there's probably people in our community. If they, printing if they a home- dial is not, not a very huge bar to entry here. Right. Right. Compared to the people who are rebuilding their hot end, ends and, and, and their motors by themselves. Yes. I'm sure you all could handle it just fine, mm-hmm. but it did look like a fun little game. Uh, it's a little faster than D and D obviously uh, we played our demo in about 45 minutes. Very cool. I just said, and I did non-miniatures thing, and then I talked about a miniatures thing. But yes, I, I did play that onslaught game, and I, right. I figured I should mention that because it was it was still miniature based. So anyway, and I larped a little. Yeah, <laughs> you, yeah you did the zombie larp. I did a zombie apocalypse larp and played a very inappropriate character that we will not talk about anymore on on this podcast. Wonderful. But it was fun. I uh, I went ahead and checked out. So in the miniature space, uh, GW was there, which with yes. the most important thing about GW's booth is they brought almost everything they have in print, period, was there, which is impressive. They had a gigantic Terminator, mm-hmm. um, which was made out of latex and not 3D printed. Uh, and overall a kind of boring booth honestly like there was lots of miniature displays and a cool thing where you could hold a bolter and that was fun yeah but not as much as i expected i did not see like dioramas really much right. yeah and i really expected of... a lot more of my tiered boys like yeah. there was well, not a lot of biomass present yeah like over at the um the bushido booth uh they had like this really cool miniature display um with like really gorgeous terrain and awesome little uh samurai miniatures painted up that in, as that you they were playing the demos on and oh modifius modifius's booth was like really glorious speaking of a company that supports 3d printing mm-hmm. and they had like these awesome little demo things of like fallout and elder scrolls and like the elder scrolls was like the opening of the first dungeon where you go to get the um uh go to get the little dragon claw with all the skeletons on the steps and so if you've played the video game you're just like i know exactly where this location is and it looks exactly like it should in your head i only ever played Morrowind, and then i figured out that you could cast spells at the ground and cause them to become permanent mm-hmm. 
and then the game wasn't hard and it got boring. So I didn't. Morrowind is like three five of Elder <laughs> Scrolls, where you just break it over your back, and it's it, the game is kind of like easy to uh, manipulate into wonderfulness. Yeah, yeah. Um, my buddy plays uh, ESO though, and he says it's much more challenging. So. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, ESO is fun. I do recommend playing it um, uh, with a buddy. ESO is like a perfect two-player uh, RPG kind of situation. That's cool. Yeah, and oh, Warcrow was there uh, with in near the Infinity stuff with like really glorious little low dark fantasy looking models in a very complicated game. Um, so if, like if you want if you like Infinity and that like super crunchy squad level action in your in your miniature <laughs> combat, like you will you will be very happy with Warcrow. I'm also just gonna throw a, a quick shout out to uh, checking the local game stores that are near your con. Mm-hmm. Was it Good Games is I believe what it's called in Indiana? Good games. Uh-huh. Yeah. Good games Indianapolis. Uh, was very near the con. <laughs> And they had stuff on clearance that was full price at the con. So, like, uh, do not of... expect to save money at Gen Con. Everything yeah, is yeah. super overpriced at Gen Con. But uh, Good Games did a great job of still kind of supporting the the regular player during the situation, and I, I was I was happy to see that. Yeah. And they have like... plastic glue if you need it for broken minis that are plastic glueable. Uh, Nicholas Henley, anything cool from Mantic? Mantic's booth was oddly tiny this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were showing off a lot of their board games, uh, their newer board games that were coming out, and Hellboy had a good presence. But that was about it. It was yeah. super understated this year. Honestly, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. When I walked by it the first time, I thought it was a like a similarly named company because I was like, that can't be that can't be Mantic, and it was. It just it just didn't have very much stuff. Yeah, like, not, and almost nothing from Kings of War was there at all either. Mm-hmm. Like one of their bigger games. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so sorry there. Um, it was there was a whole lot less wargaming presence at Gen Con overall than I'm used to. Like there weren't any. Only TT Combat was there. There wasn't a ton of like wargaming focused terrain companies there. Like Monstrous wasn't even there. Mm-hmm. Um, Artist Alley was huge, but that's not wargaming related. And like it was like this Gen Con had like wholly become the board role playing game, board game role playing game convention with like a dash of the other stuff. But like all the other stuff that I'm used to being at Gen Con at like a pretty decent level, the anime sections, the wargaming sections, and things like that, all of that was like super pushed back in like DD, especially like 5e compatible stuff was like running that convention this year. Yeah, I would say it was definitely like um pretty pretty overly balanced that way. Uh Necromodes was cool. Yeah, Necromodes was fun. And I'm sure you could eventually like figure out a way to invert many You should probably like, tell people what Necromodes is. Oh, Necromodes is uh it, you take like Play-Doh basically and you put it in a little mold, little plastic mold and you make your little dude and then, like, you beat it up when you're playing. You stab it through with its wound markers, and at the end, you're supposed to smash it when it dies, and you just get to, like, crush it. Yes, Arabeto knows what it is. And it's intensely satisfying. So Necromolds is a skirmish battle game where you play with Play-Doh figures that are molded uh, while you're playing it. I'm sorry. I was sorry. just so excited to you're, talk about You're in squishing. super Mantic mode. I, I appreciate it, which is squish, ironic because squish. Mantic was anything but this year. Right, right. But yeah, it was very satisfying and the sort of thing that would be very easy to 3D print. Because one of the things that you get when you get like item drops and stuff in Necromolds, you, you stick them on them so they get equipped so you could totally 3d print like your own custom bits if you wanted to do that and you track wounds by putting like little red daggers into your models through them it was awesome yeah very very satisfying and tactile if you're that way yeah yeah. and the stats for all the models are on the back of the little like necronomicon books that you use as the molds Mm -hmm. it was all very clever very they had a new expansion too if you're already familiar with the game so Totally should have existed in the 90s. Herberto says, such a neat idea, it should have existed in the 90s. Uh, I totally agree. 
And um, I bet blasted Santa flange, if you used um, some food safe sp food spray, you could probably do like that um, no bake cookie recipe recipe for chocolate. I don't know if you're familiar with it. You make like the little like no bake chocolate balls or the peanut butter balls. You could probably make your guys out of that and then you could eat them, which would be amazing. You have lost sound again, Param. Sad Panda. I'm going to make sure it's not me. I don't know what's up. Boop, boop. We're, I think we're just about wrapped up here, but uh, hopefully he can rejoin us before the end, the end of the end. But yeah, the, the, I'm sure you could do that non, non bake cookie dough in, in those molds. Did, did you, did you resurrect? Nope. Can everybody else hear Param? Cable gremlin. Yeah. Cable gremlin. Um, I don't normally do the end of show stuff, Param, so I could try. I could try. Okay, I guess I'm going to try. That was Param, uh, Jefferson J. Thacker, also known as Param. I am Kristen, also known as Seventh Mastery. If you would like to support our podcast, you can find us on any uh, platform that uh, platforms are uh, where podcasts are available. Uh, I, iTunes podcast thingy and Spotify and a whole bunch of others. Uh, you, you can also support us on our page. And uh, I believe we're on various social media. Also, I am on the TikToks under Seventh Mastery as well. Um, and uh, I guess that's it for us for the week. I'm so sad that I'm alone doing this, but uh, don't forget to use your screen protector, and we'll see you next time.